This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the group of five and independence betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You excited to talk some, uh, it's finally here, Akron and UMass? Well, I mean, this is where we make our money, right? This is where we've cashed UAB 20 to ones. This is where we've <laughs> had our biggest long shots. If you're a college football gambler, it's just same old, same old power five. It's hard to get ahead. And in the group of five, a team can go from 0 and 12 to 12 and 0 in two years. Just ask Central Florida. Ball State, baby. By the time you're listening to this, my Mac manifesto will be out. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> I do have another long shot, which we'll, we will be talking about. We'll close with the Mac. We'll finish up with the Mac. But we'll go through each of the group of five conferences, give our end independence give our favorite futures, win totals, talk through them broadly. And we'll start with the fun belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. What better way to start the Group of Five podcast than in the fun belt? And to help us do that, we are bringing in Mike Calvrizi, Action Network contributor. You might have heard him on this podcast, well, the old podcast before, uh, what's going on, Mike? Why don't you give a quick uh, intro and background of yourself? Sure. Uh, I am a member of Degenerate Nation, which is great. So I feel like I'm in in the proper company here. Uh, and certainly my love of the group of five is, it knows no bounds, to be honest with you. Whether it's ESPN you know, 3, ESPN Plus, some illegal streamed UMass uh, iPhone feeds, whatever it takes to watch these games, I've been doing it all these years and this year in particular, I think, is, is justified in getting super excited about the Sun Belt. For the first time, really since the, the transition to the, the current system, this New Year's Six system, does the Sun Belt have a legitimate path towards getting that, that coveted automatic bid? Um, obviously, they'll have to climb over the champion from the American, and they're going to need some help that's outside of their own control. But when you look at the schedule, Louisiana taking on Texas – App State getting, you know, Miami, Florida. There's games to be won to build the resume, not just individually, but of a conference. And the way that it's shifted this year with the East-West divisions, there's a really good chance that we can have a 12-0 matchup in the Sunbelt Championship game, and that could be the springboard to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, it's definitely a conference on the rise. Last year they went 4-1 and during bowl season and picked up five Power Five wins in September 
Many of you may recall a 17-point Louisiana win over Iowa State. Let's start in the West with Louisiana. It's really hard to make a case for another team in the West to win this division. We'll get to the East, which I think is a little more interesting at the top. But the Raging Cages are going for their fourth straight West title. This is the one you've been waiting for. Let's start there, and I'll build a case for a bet that I made, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. I played Louisiana under nine and a half wins, and I know this is a team that won, that went 10 and one last year. But if you, and look, they bring back pretty much their entire roster. Uh, you know, I think their entire two deep outside of a linebacker. They will miss their two star running backs uh, that have moved on. And I think that, you know, that kind of the depth that the running back position has taken a hit. But, and look, I know this team is, is really good and they have top 25 potential. But if you look at the schedule outside of my number, which is closer to eight and a half, I mean, they go to Texas and they go to Liberty, right? So they could lose both of those games. And if they do, they'll have to run the table in order to get the 10 wins. And I'm just not sure they can do that. What I think is an improved conference from top to bottom with a lot of returning production. And I know they were 10 and one last year, but this is a team that beat Georgia state 34 to 31 in overtime. They made a 53 yard field goal as time expired to beat Georgia Southern by two. They beat UAB by four and they trailed by 10 at the end of the third quarter. You know, they beat UTSA in a bowl game by seven. It was tied in a fourth. They beat Arkansas State by seven. It was tied with two to go. And they beat App State by three in a game where App State missed a 30-yarder at the end of the game to force overtime. So basically six of seven coin flips essentially went their way last year. And I didn't even mention the Iowa State win. Yes, they won by 17, but they were out game. They had two special teams touchdowns. So uh, there's some close game regression that could really be coming to this team, what are your thoughts on Louisiana from a futures perspective and that win total? I actually do think if I were to play it, I would play under for many of the reasons that you list. But I think there's something that's been overstated in all of college football this offseason, which is look at the returning production. How many offensive linemen are back? You know, Do you have your quarterback back? In a given year, this would be such a special collection of players with experience. As you mentioned, their defensive two deep is only missing one player coming back. But in this year 2021 season, a lot of teams are in positions like this. And I actually look at the fact that we have a known quantity of quarterback. And at least in terms of big plays and blowing teams away that they should, they did not get there, even with Elijah Mitchell and Regas, you know, being able to pound the rock. I was expecting more out of them when I went back and did kind of a post-mortem on their season. And I totally agree with you. There was a handful of coin flip games, and they weren't just against some of the better teams in the Sun Belt and in their non-conference. They messed around with Georgia State and Georgia Southern and should have got burned in one of those spots. And I agree. Liberty is an incredibly difficult non-conference game. And Texas, for you know everything that you can say about the transition to the Sark era, and they have a new quarterback and all of that, they're not going to overlook Louisiana. Louisiana now has a bullseye on you know their chest because of what they did in Ames to kick off last season. So if I were to play it, I'd be with you on the under. You see any any other team in the West that's worth taking on from a futures perspective? I guess no, but how about from a win total perspective or, or a team that you know might be under the radar, whether it's preseason or later on in the year? Texas State is very interesting to me because generally speaking, when you see a team go from three and nine to two and 10, you're like, well, they're taking on water. That coach has probably got one foot out the door. 
Um, unfortunately for, you know, the, the Sunbelt West, I think they're not exactly a sleeping giant by any stretch, but this is a team that I do think can go from two wins last year to, you know, budging up against that six win number to get to bowl eligibility. And it really starts with how much they're bringing back. Uh, you know, McBride, their quarterback has a little bit, he's a poor, 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 poor man's Johnny Manziel, but Spavital, I think has created an offense that allows him to, to make things up on the fly. They have enough returning production. And what's so interesting is they brought in zero high school kids in this recruiting class. They went all portal. They went all Juco. And what I think that is going to equate to is they brought in a lot of people who are ready to play right now. And I think when you look at their schedule last season and the games that they were in, they were right in it with SMU. And SMU should have beaten them by 30 points. They almost had a victory in Chestnut Hill beating Boston College. So it, it, some of it's coach speak, but when you hear Spavadol talk, it's like they really learned what they, they had. And that was how he viewed last season. They wanted to make sure that they were testing themselves on a weekly basis. I think that's going to pay dividends here. I think they're going to go over their win total, and I think they're going to get the bowl eligibility. The Bobs, Colin must be smiling right now with the Bobs getting some love uh, on the Group of Five podcast. Colin, are you joining there? Yeah, of course. I absolutely join. I love Texas State. Uh, you know, I believe in all. I believe in everything that they brought in. It's just a matter of uh, getting it all to work. And, and if you look at this team last year, plagued defensively, just with some of the worst numbers in the league, 115th in defensive success rate. We know that defensive success rate correlates to against the spread numbers. 112th in defensive finishing drives. They're allowing everybody that crossed the 40-yard line to score. There's got to be a little bit of regression coming back to that number. They couldn't be any worse in defensive havoc either, bottom 10 in the nation. So uh, I do think there's going to be a bounce back here for a Texas State program that uh, has the talent. They just need to execute on the field. All right, let's move over now to the East, which will likely, I think, come down to a highly anticipated game between Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State in Boone. So that game's at Appalachian State. And if you look at the updated odds for the Sunbelt winner, Louisiana's plus 110. Now that speaks a lot to their division, which they have a really clear path to getting to the Sunbelt Championship game. Coastal Carolina's plus 160, and App State is plus 400, which, you know, on the surface is a little enticing when you consider that they host the Triple C Dynasty coastal carolina long live the triple c dynasty coastal carolina is loaded once again appalachian state is bringing in a new quarterback so there's questions there uh but they will get to host coastal carolina what do you before we get to some of these you know pesky teams that i think there are there are a few of in this division what are your thoughts on the top between appalachian state and coastal carolina if I could have one question answered for me, I'd feel a little bit better about App State. And it is, will there be an open competition for that QB1 spot? Because Chase Bryce's turnovers last year haunt Brutal. Duke fans, certainly. And it definitely is throwing cold water on what should be one of the most exciting offenses in the group of five. Because we look at Cameron Peoples and Corey Sutton and Hennigan and Jalen Virgil, who I believe was top five in Bruce Feldman's freak list. The guy's 6'1", 200 pounds. You know, he's an Olympic-style runner. They're going to use him as a Swiss Army knife. It's just going to come down to quarterback play. So right now, you know, with Chase Bryce and also uh, Heisman, who's been there, he's a super senior. He was a two-star kid out of high school. So I'm just not sure they're going to get there quarterback play-wise to be able to bring it all together. Because honestly, these skill position players are so good that I think they are going to be in the conversation to run the table. They're going to have a game against Miami that's going to be incredibly challenging. But honestly, this has been a little bit of that Bobby Bowden, you know, Pat 
that Pat Hill Fresno State energy where it's like anyone, any, anywhere, anytime. And they've done that for so long. I don't think they'll be bullied off of that spot. Um, really, it just comes down to the number. I do think there's a lot of value in taking App State to win the Sun Belt at that, uh, you know, exceeded number four to one, depending on where, what book you're looking at. Um, but Coastal still presents a lot of problems for them. And Coastal has so much coming back on defense. If they can find a way to fill in the gap for Taryn Jackson, a, for a consensus All-American, really the best player in school history. If they can fill in his havoc to a certain degree, maybe they do it, you know, a collection of players on the front at their bandit position. If they're able to do that, it's going to be a tall task, even at home in the most critical game in the Sun Belt East uh, with Appalachian State hosting the Shants. And you you agree that App State has value, right, Colin? Oh, absolutely. I think four to one for the Sun Belt is an, is an absolute play on because as we saw when they met each other head to head last year, these two teams are really kind of mirror images of each other. I'm looking at the stats right now. They're both top 25 in offensive success rate. Uh, you know, App State was 37th in defensive finishing drives. Coastal Carolina was 38th in defensive finishing drives. But when you put them head to head up against each other, we said this on the podcast all last year. Nobody on Coastal Carolina's schedule can expose them in the rush defense perspective because they finished 77th in opponent rushing success rate, but they were outside the top 100 allowing explosive run plays. And we had App State circled as the team that could do it on the ground. Now there was uh, some, you know, some, some shenanigans at the end. There was a fumble. There was a turnover. Uh, Coastal gets the win. Uh, lost that bet. I believe it was a plus five spread that we had to eat there with a turnover at the very end. But no, I, the more I look at these teams, they're almost exact similar to each other. They can run the ball for nine-minute drives, drain the clock, and never allow you to touch the ball ever again. So App State has proven – Coastal hasn't proven this because Jamie Chadwell's always been there, but App State has proven that they can sub in head coaches. They can sub in quarterbacks, and they just seem to have an advantage over everybody in the Sun Belt when it comes to trench, offensive scheme, special teams – and when I look at some of the numbers up against each other, this is still a Coastal Carolina team that's going to struggle with the rush defense. Tackling-wise, they finished outside the top 100 last year is where App State's in the top 10. It's just these little nitpick things that I kind of pay attention to. Like Coastal Carolina in line yards was 84th. Uh, you know, App State was, you know, much higher than that, top 50. Uh, there's just little niches from last year where App State has the advantage. It just came down to a coin flip at the end, and a turnover is what made the decision. Coastal having that magical run. Now, I know people will look at that four to one on App State and say, well, they got to play Louisiana. That game is meaningless. That game is meaningless because if they beat Coastal Carolina, that's one loss over in their division. They would be the ones that go up to the championship game. Tell me the last time you had a four to one odds on the board on App State. Like never. Right. I can't, I can't remember. So I think this is huge value. I know they're replacing a quarterback. I'm not going to say, you know, we have our value over replacement player with Zach Thomas. I don't think the gap is that large for what the talent that they have back. So I'm all in on App State here, and and the the hedge. I mean, if you're going to give me plus 400 here, I've just got to play Coastal, and that game should be about a money line, so it's an easy hedge for me. Yeah, I think the thing I'm still hesitant about is Mike, as you alluded to, is, is Chase Price. From what I've seen, uh, we know that Coastal Carolina. Look, their Black Swarm defense. They do lose the Defensive Player of the Year, but it's mainly intact, and we know that Coastal Carolina has a proven commodity at quarterback, and he has his weapons back as well in that dangerous unique offense. So that's the one thing that gives me pause. I actually have more confidence that App State will get revenge against a Louisiana team they've owned, yeah. they've completely owned over the years. And then last year they lose on that crazy with the wind and they miss the 30-yard field goal. Um, all right, but so that's a Billy Napier thing. 
I mean, let me, I mean, that's a Billy Napier. Why does Billy Napier interview for every job in the Power Five and never get it? No one will ever answer that question. And it's a coaching thing. That's the reason why we don't, we never take Louisiana to win this conference because he has the ability to unwin games. I don't know if that's a word, but for Billy Napier, it is. But he lose. has the ability to lose, lose. games. Uh, but no, I, games that he should win, he, he loses. And most of them have been against App State. But I mean, think of the number of jobs this guy's interviewed for and he doesn't get the job. Yeah. All right. Well, with the rest of the division, you know, you have those two clear teams at the top, but there's three pesky teams below them in Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and Troy, which won't be easy outs on a week-to-week basis. Mike, let me start with the team I actually played over on hesitantly. My numbers suggest that I should, and I did because I, I am high on them, but the schedule is brutal. I played Georgia State over five, but if you look at the schedule, look, they bring everybody back from an offense that Average a school record, I think, 34 points. And this is a team, they did have a bizarre loss to Coastal Carolina. I think they lost like 70 to 7. But they lost by seven combined points to uh, Louisiana and Appalachian State. They lost to Louisiana in overtime. So they were right there. They were two and three in one possession games. The The road schedule is brutal. I mean, they go to Auburn. They go to North Carolina. And then later in the year, they have three straight road games against Georgia Southern, Louisiana, and Coastal Carolina. I mean, those five road games are brutal. They also get Appalachian State at home. That game is winnable, but if you assume they lose those six games, they have, you know, and they take care of Louisiana Monroe on the road, they just have to take care of business at home to get to bowl eligibility. I think Sean Elliott has this program trending in the right direction, you know, with the likes of Brown back at quarterback, Coates at running back, Pinkney at receiver. I love the town on this offense. The defense has to replace two really important linebackers in McQueen and Strachan. But if they can do that, this is a team that can really stop the run and they can really get after the quarterback. Uh, I think that this is a sneaky good team that's going to get one of those games that they didn't get last year against one of the top teams. I think at the minimum, they'd find a way to get the bowl eligibility. The road schedule does scare me, though, too, especially if they get injuries and depth is hurt and they get beat up early. But I had to go over five thoughts on them and or another team that you might be higher on of that pesky group in this division. In that gauntlet of scheduling that you mentioned, you didn't even throw in Army to get things started, which I think that's a pivotal game in terms of this total going over for the season for Georgia State. Um, and of all the skill positions you mentioned, you know, Cornelius Quad Brown at quarterback, but also Cornelius McCoy at wide receiver, you know, they have a lot to play with. And when you look at their performances, when they played up last year, at least in my mind, I want to see it on tape. I want to feel a threat offensively. So it wasn't them just you know feasting on cupcakes last year. It was them playing up in a lot of big games. And also their bowl game was a nice springboard. I think sometimes it's overstated for the national programs. You know, Texas is back, you know, because they won the Sugar Bowl. And now they're going to be in the national title conversation. But I do think it matters a lot to these group of five teams and to play the way that they did down the stretch, having confidence now to look back on how they performed against the big boys in the conference. I think they're not necessarily a sleeper to win the East because it's too loaded, but I do like over on, on that number. And I think, you know, in terms of their schedule, maybe you catch a break with an injury, you know, to a quarterback, maybe it, maybe it's Auburn. Auburn is one of those weird teams this year that I have a difficult time kind of slotting where they're going to come up in the power rankings in the SEC because Harson needs to rebuild. I think you get a, a lot of buzz around like a Georgia Tech going from a triple option to a conventional modern offense. But I think in a lot of ways, you know, 
deconstructing the Gus Malzahn offense and what he built, it's going to take Harson some time. So maybe that's a game, even just momentum wise, they play well, they keep it within, you know, two scores and that can, you know, benefit them on the back half. The schedule is just so daunting. I think it may at the last minute prevent me from pulling the trigger, but I certainly couldn't talk you out of it based on all of the goods that they have coming back. You know, um, Colin's done such a great job with the TARP rankings and half of the, the Sun Belt returns, you know, close to 8.5 out of 12 potential TARP points for returning production, which is incredible. And Georgia State's right there at the top of the list. So this is a team that has confidence. They have continuity. The coaching staff stays together. I think there's a lot to like about the Panthers. Yeah, I think I assume that they go one in five on the road, but I think that they might be able to steal one of these games or maybe steal at home against App State. And I think that they find a way to get to five and one. A, a sneaky part of this schedule that I do like, you mentioned the Army game, is they start with Army, which means they have extra time to prepare in the offseason. And they also see Georgia Southern every year. So they do see a triple option. They're familiar with it. Sometimes you have these teams that play Army and haven't seen a triple option in three years. And then when they play Georgia Southern on the road, um, which is obviously a winnable game, they would have already seen a triple option earlier in the season. So maybe that swings a, a win or two, that preparation, and then seeing the triple option twice. Uh, Colin, any thoughts on kind of this group of uh, pests in this division? Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think ULM did zero prep for the triple option last year and got ran up by 50 points uh, uh, against Army. I don't know if I'm missing. Well, their, def- their defensive coordinator quit like a week before. Yeah, I was, I'm not going to look it up. That was, that was bloody. That was brutal. Uh, no, I, I mean, I kind of agree with the, the rise of Georgia State here. They just need to kind of get to the next level. The problem is they fall in the division they do and not over in the West. Uh, I think a team that I liked at the beginning a couple months ago was Troy at six and a half. Lots of indicators uh, second order win total specifically said they should have done way better than five and seven. They returned just a huge bulk of everything. And there are a number of games on the schedule that they should be doubled. They're projected as double digit favorites. We're talking Southern. I've even got Southern miss. I, I, I've got Troy uh, at, at minus seven there. Uh, there's other games like Texas state, uh, South Alabama. Uh, there's just a number of games on here where Troy is going to be favored by more than seven and at least five of their games. And then there's another where they're, you know, projected just, you know, barely into coin flip. So they're going to be less than plus seven uh, underdogs to App State. Uh, Georgia State's another one of those. It's a coin flip. So Troy has five definite wins on their schedule and then a handful of coin flips to get them what was six and a half and now seven. So I would look for the six and a half. I think Troy is a team that is very well coached on the rise, returns everything. uh, And second order win total held them back a little bit last year. Carlton Marshall from that defensive group too, just an incredible player. And I I think he will be in the running for defensive player of the year in the Sun Belt. So not just experience, like legitimate playmakers. I think he's going on three years in a row, leading the team at tackles. He's all over the field. Yeah. He's a tackling machine. Um, Any final thoughts, Mike? Appreciate your time and joining us here. We have to talk about ULM. (laughs) ULM in complete rebuild mode, uh, win total, the lowest by far in the conference. Um, hard I mean, put your, put your hands up if you're taking Jackson State on the money line against them. I think it's in week three. I'll go ahead and take the fight in Deion's in that spot. I'm projecting it. I'm projecting it. Uh, ULM minus 17 against Jackson State. I mean, that is that. Sign me up. I'm going to have to double that. What, what kind of money line are we going to get on that number there for week two? Uh, no, there's no other. There's no other game on this schedule. They're even close. I think South Alabama may be their next one. And 
you know, South Alabama, they seem to have talent come in, especially at the, at the skill positions. But every time I start talking about taking it over on the team, uh, Stucky and I seem to lose money. So, uh, no, I don't know who else ULM is going to be. The one and a half is out there juiced like crazy. Uh, but you got to find a second win. We're not sure they can beat Jackson State. Any final thoughts, Mike? I think that basically wraps it up. I, I do think there's a, a little bit too much negativity on how bad the West is. I, I think between Arkansas State and South Alabama, one of them is going to figure it out offensively. Both have you know, upside at the quarterback position, Lane Hatcher in particular. If, if he can rekindle some of the magic, he'd been playing musical chairs, a quarterback for so long now that it's his team. I think there's a decent chance that they could have some punch offensively. And South Alabama, in a, in a similar way with Jake Bentley stepping in at quarterback with a lot of Power 5 experience, the Jalen's at, out at wide receiver, Jalen Tolbert in particular, is a stick of dynamite. So I think those teams could be feisty. I want to see early on if they put it together. And if they do, they're a team that, you know, I, I'd like to play for some backdoor covers in September. Uh, I want to see Arkansas State get one stop first. Uh, that, watching that defense last year was, I mean, <laughs> unbelievable at times. All right, thanks to Mike for joining us. You can find him on Twitter at East Breeze. That's B-R-E-E-S-E. He will also be doing some content for us on this feed. Again, Big Bets on Campus, make sure you go subscribe, rate, review. It's really helping us out. We got up the number one in the football rankings. But because we're on our own feed, we can do other stuff in college football. Mike has my blessing, our blessing. Uh, he's one of us. He puts his work in. So uh, don't hesitate to listen to anything that he puts out on the feed. Uh, thanks again for joining us and uh, good luck this season and enjoy the belt. I mean, the belt, it's only shown us love, certainly as college football betters and fans. So I'm looking forward to the national pub it's going to get and rightly deserves this fall. There you have it. All right. Thanks again, Mike. All right. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Take care, guys. All right. We could knock out a couple conferences here before we deep dive into the Mac, I think, later on. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to knock out Conference USA. If you like bad football, this is the conference for you. Uh, you could argue that 10 of the 14 teams are outside the top 100 in a, you know, a, a logical power rating set. It's a bad conference. The I have two plays here. I have I bet Louisiana Tech over shocking. I bet Louisiana Tech over four and a half, which I hated this team last year. I thought they were extremely inefficient. I faded the shit out of them against TCU and then in the bowl game. This team couldn't move the ball. They couldn't run it. They just they were they got they had so many lucky wins, like lat, just last second wins, just pulled a bunch of wins out of their ass and I wanted to fade them. But this is still Skip Holtz and this is a guy that all he does is get to bowl games. They've been to bowls in, what, six straight years? And if you just look at their schedule, they, you know, you could safely assume they go one and three in non-conference. They'll beat Southeast Louisiana at home. And you could say they'll lose to Mississippi State, SMU, and NC State. So in order to win fewer than five games, the win total is four and a half, they'd have to go three and five in league play. Holtz hasn't done that since his first year in 2013. And their two crossover games against the East – are against the two worst teams, Old Dominion and UTEP. They're, they have three winnable road games against Old Dominion, UTEP, and Rice. And then, you know, they have home games against Charlotte, Southern Miss, and North Texas. So can they win four of those six? I'm going to say yes, and that's assuming, you know, they lose at UAB and they lose at home against UTSA. That's certainly not a lot. They could beat UTSA at home. Luke Anthony did suffer a bad leg injury at quarterback. Reports are he's going to be healthy. 
look, I know that they're a regression candidate on the surface, but I just think there's value in this number. I think they'll probably end up, Skip Holtz will probably end up pulling out a couple wins they shouldn't have won, and they'll get back to a bowl. I show value in this number, which I was shocked by. The offensive line was just a mess last year, but I think it should be much better. I mean, it only returned one starter last year without a spring practice, and then they had injuries and COVID issues all along. it. So now they can gel. I think it'll be a lot better. They have a new offensive line coach and has some experience. I think that off the offensive line will get much better. That'll translate to more efficient offensive results across the board. And uh, I think Holtz will have this team ready to go. It's just what he does. He gets his teams to bowl games. So I went over on Louisiana Tech. I, the skill position players are meh, and they lost their you know their top two backs. But they brought in Marcus Williams from App State. He's ran for over 500 yards in each of the past three past four seasons. Uh, so LaTeX over four and a half. Any thoughts there? Uh, n- never negate Skip Holtz's ability to cover as an underdog, especially when he's taking on teams that have larger spreads. He's uh, he's pulled a few surprises in his life. So, yeah, I, I mean, lowest amount of returning production and, and, and transfer activity goes to Louisiana Tech. But still, I mean, this is a very well-coached team. They finished 27th in offensive finishing drives last year. And, and really, Holtz didn't have much to work with. So I agree with you on that number. I have a couple of them I'll throw out for Conference USA, and then we will get to the meat of the sandwich in this conference. I do like Florida International to go over four uh, Southern Miss after a couple of interim coaches in the middle of the season. Uh, I love their head coaching change. I'm going to take them over six. North Texas is absolutely on the downward spiral. Seth Luttrell not leaving for Kansas State when he did. Uh, probably not the best in career moves now. Uh, the defense is falling, is spiraling out of control. 121st in defensive finishing drives last year. It's not getting any better. Uh, and so you can look for some of those. And this one, and a write-up I'll do on Conference USA, I love Marshall over eight. Uh, the new head coach, Charles Huff, uh, comes from the school of Saban. Before that, he's at Mississippi State. He's been at Penn State. He's been around. This hire by them, I would question why Doc Holliday was out the door, but this hire of Huff was just universally, you know, praised by everybody. And if you look at them, the offense is loaded with returning experience at 92% for a team that was seventh and havoc allowed. That's great for Grant Wells, because when you look at Grant Wells splits and he doesn't have pressure, he's as good as any group of five quarterback. It's when he has guys in his face that he starts to struggle. Uh, But this offensive line is going to take care of him. And so while Huff knows a lot about offense, it's really the defense that's going to lead this team and be one of the best in Conference USA. Uh, The units bring back their biggest names in creating havoc, and they were 14th in success rate and fourth in finishing drives. That's huge in Conference USA. So I like the win total over. The problem is they're hosting the team that I think is going to win this, and that is Western Kentucky. Go Hilltoppers, go Hilltoppers, go 14 to 1, hit it, 12 to 1, hit it, 10 to 1, hit it. It's a good number all the way down to 7 to 1. I'll let you take it away, but really the Houston Baptist offense we saw last year is now in Conference USA. It's been married up with Western Kentucky, a team that already had a really decent defense. Western Kentucky and Tyson Elton finished 27th in defensive success rate last year and 26 in defensive havoc. And now you're going to give me an offense that goes like 600 yards a game. I can't say enough about how much I love Western Kentucky. We've all got tickets on Western Kentucky, right? Hilltoppers all the way. Bailey Zappi. This is a guy who threw for 1,800 yards, 15 touchdowns, one interception in four games last year. Three of those games were against Power 5 teams. Mm-hmm. One of them against Texas Tech in a two-point loss. Houston Baptist lost by two at Texas Tech. He threw for 567 yards. Uh, if you look at his numbers against Power 5 teams in the past, they're excellent. So, uh, you know, Western Kentucky – Pigram didn't work out. The Maryland transfer quarterback, their offense was abysmal, awful. 
So what did they do? They essentially brought one of the most prolific FCS offenses and brought it in to Bowling Green, which is where Western Kentucky is. So they just took an offense and brought it in a rare raid. So they took their offensive coordinator, coordinator yeah. <laughs> the, the quarterback, Zappy, and their top three receivers. Yes. So, <laughs> And they're going to implement an air raid. So will it work out? Um, I don't know, but it can't be any worse. And it's, it's, just, it's just a very high variance team this year. They also lost, you know, a decent amount of production at linebacker and the and the defensive backs. So but I do like some of the transfers they brought in. But again, high variant situation on the defense. If it works out, the defense, which usually is excellent, could be even more special. D'Angelo Malone, I think, will have a bounce back year at the one defensive end spot. The defensive line will be great. So this is a high variance team in a bad conference and in a wide open division. Their two biggest competitors for the division: Marshall undergoing a coaching change. Florida Atlantic has to find a quarterback. So it's not like Old I Dominion hasn't team. played in two years. Uh, Old Dominion yeah, hasn't I'm, played forever. It's wide open. Now, I don't I don't necessarily like the win total over five and a half because it could blow up. Right. If it doesn't work out, I, I'm not investing. But the upside is huge, which is why I like. Uh, yeah, I just found a 10 to one uh, yesterday that I bet I'll put that in the app right now. And I, I think that the upside of this team in a really bad conference is worth investing in. Bailey Zappi and that air raid. If it clicks. And it works. Western Kentucky can easily win this conference. Yeah, some of these defenses in this division, Middle Tennessee finished, what, 85th in success rate on defense. Charlotte finished 108th on defense and success rate. Uh, some of the numbers in finishing drives. This Western Kentucky offense, if they could do what Houston Baptist did, Conference USA is not ready for this. I'm not even sure Marshall's defense, which was great against Conference USA, I'm not sure that they're ready for this just to take those numbers that we saw against Texas Tech and North Texas and plug them into this conference. That's a Western Kentucky team that has already beaten Arkansas. They are, they, I mean, just the defense alone under Tyson Helton was good enough to beat a power five program like Arkansas. Now you're going to plug in this offense. Does that count as a power five win? We're <laughs> um, baseball. Hey, look, the San Jose state win over Arkansas was a signal of uh, things to come. Yes, Maybe that's absolutely. the case for Western Kentucky and, yeah, Marshall, who knows? Grant Wells. Which Grant Wells are we going to get? A quarterback right. for them. All right, so we're all Toppers fans this year. All right, let's move on. Let's knock out the independents. I am uh, hilariously going to make a case for UMass over one and a half wins. And I'm lay, I laid minus 150 to do so. For those of you that are listening to this on a podcast, Stucky is doing this podcast in a UMass t-shirt. And I am sure that the gift store that sells these t-shirts said, holy shit, an order for a UMass t-shirt to Kentucky? Let's ship it immediately. Day one, priority. It did come <laughs> quick. So I actually think that there's some reasons for optimism in Amherst. Now, this is still a bottom 10 team. They still stink, right? <laughs> but I don't think that they're the worst one or two teams in the country. They're not the worst. The worst, I think, clearly is New Mexico State, who got blown out by Tarleton State in the spring. Uh, but UMass actually finally has some depth. You know, two years ago, Walt Bell's first year, they only had 75 guys in camp. This camp, and then they had a shortened 2020 season. They weren't going to play, and then they added four unwinnable road games. I think they only scored 12 total points. They got outscored by, I think, 100 total. It was a terrible year. They scored one offensive touchdown. But 
this year they, they put four top 25 defenses all on the road. They weren't going to win any of those games, but they finally have some depth. They have 110 guys in camp. They might finally have a quarterback as well over the past two seasons. And one of those seasons, let me say that again, in the past two seasons, Walt Bell's first two seasons, they used seven different quarterbacks and they went one in 15. That one win was a home win over Akron. This year, they bring in Tyler Lytle from Colorado. I think he was an ESPN four-star prospect. He's the most talented quarterback they've had in quite some time. So they might finally have some stability at quarterback with Tyler Lytle. And I, I like some of the transfers they brought in, specifically at offensive tackle and in the secondary that I think will help. And the most important thing is that the team still stinks, but they have four winnable games on the schedule. I mean, let's look at the schedule. They play UConn at home. Very winnable. UConn didn't even play last year. Didn't even play in the spring. They play Rhode Island and Maine at home, both winnable. Mm-hmm. Rhode Island and Maine, for reference, were picked, I think, sixth and ninth in the CAA. So they have three winnable home games against UConn, against Maine, and against Rhode Island. And then they finish up the year at New Mexico State, who I think is the worst team in the country. The best part about that, not only do they have four winnable games, they all come after week six. So this is a team I think is improving. So now that, you know, they get into the season, they're going to get blown out. As long as they don't take too many injuries early on, at the minimum, they're getting the two wins. I wouldn't be surprised if they win three games. Um, I think that there's value in over one and a half minus 150. Give me UMass over as my favorite and only Independence bet. Thoughts? And uh, what do you got in Independence for us? You called out the games that are absolutely winnable here. And that's a problem for a lot of these college football teams, especially in the group of five, is building depth. The transfer portal has created a way for the Oklahomas and the Ohio States of the world where if they don't have any depth at right guard, they can go out and get a third stringer. It's also created sort of a a place for people that don't get a starting spot in the power five to fall down to the group of five teams and find some playing time. Having playing time actually matters to a lot of kids. And that's what Walt Bell needed to do. He needed to clean house. He's cycled through a defensive coordinator already. Uh, Some of the players that were on the roster when he first got there, not really happy with the hire, not really happy with how much he dogs them in practice. I mean, working them, uh, you know, full pads the entire uh, week. There were some message boards lighting up about his treatment of the players. And the fact is, is you're just not going to get UMass to a level if you just can, you know, continue to treat the program as a joke, which Walt Bell is not. So you look at those games that Stuck mentioned, UConn projected to make a pick. Rhode Island, I project UMass to be minus 10. Against Maine, the Black Bears, minus 23 for UMass. That's crazy to think they can cover a spread that big. And then New Mexico State, right now that's projected at minus four for UMass on the road. There is a chance that this team, UMass, can win four games. So I I would actually suggest maybe finding a two and maybe finding juice on an over. Uh, There's plenty of options here to hedge because these games, Rhode Island, Maine, New Mexico State, they happen at the end of the year. If you happen to pull one off against Eastern Michigan, who could lose a game against UMass, it's not completely out of the question, then you're rolling. So I would actually skip the one and a half in the juice. I'd go find a two, maybe find some plus money. I think I'm going to join you. If you're going to put this in the app and you find a good number, let's both do it together. Let's let's like UMass, the team of the year, the junk team that we like to support. It was UTEP for a long time. Picks up. They're solid now. They can win at least three games. Uh, we're, we're out of their backyard it's on to UMass, baby. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. Don't make me regret this shirt purchase. <laughs> this will be a fun bet to sweat all year. The militia. <laughs> Colin. And it's a good win total. I like it's not like just one or two games I'm relying on. It's like four games. I think that they can win two of them. All right. So I'm going UMass and Independence. I think you're going to 
sell Notre Dame? Where are you, where are you going with independence? The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yeah, I'm definitely selling Notre Dame. I think one of the first pieces I wrote this year was under nine uh, on Notre Dame for a ton of reasons. Clark Lee leaving as defensive coordinator. And, you know, go download the favorites, Chad's podcast, uh, Chad Millman, our, our fearless leader. And I talked plenty about Notre Dame in the under there. Eight and a half still in the market. I think it's good down to eight. So I would definitely hit the under. Uh, Liberty, I absolutely, I, I don't even know what to do with Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. This whole idea that they could be undefeated going into Ole Miss, Hugh Freeze going into play Lane Kiffin is, it, it just, it gets me excited. Like we were the first couple of weeks of August and I'm getting excited. Like I want to run through the house thinking about Hugh Freeze going back to Oxford, Mississippi and how many burner phones he'll have on him. You don't cuss, you don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to, uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Be in a bed? Will he be in a bed or on the <laughs> Yeah, wheel him on in. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Liberty 93% returning production uh, and transfer portal activity on the offensive side, led by Malik Willis, one of the best quarterbacks, not just a group of five, all of college football. The defense returns 83%, uh, top 50 in success rate. They really locked down in, in the red zone. They were 23rd in defensive finishing drives. Uh, that's limiting points for opponents past the 40-yard line. I think Liberty goes into Ole Miss undefeated. So do what you want with that win total. I've got it at 9.3. They're legit this year. I've said to these young people repeatedly, and I say it again, you are the hope of America. When you leave the graduation platform of Liberty, I want you to leave it running. Leave it running with a vision burning in your soul. For all intents and purposes, I think I, I'm staying away from Army. The defensive numbers, it's a really hard team to grasp because success rate doesn't apply to Army. And the reason is because success rate is bound to being at second and seven and third and four. But there's a huge uptick in college football right now to go for it on fourth down. Army started this trend a really long time ago. There are other head coaches that are catching on that have made the decision that fourth and four and fourth and three are downs where you're just going to go for it no matter what your field position is. And so success rate doesn't really apply to Army because they're on a different clock. They're on a different schedule when it comes to moving the chains. I've got them, you know, at 8.3. So far, a no play here. I don't want to. And returning production means nothing for these service academies. You just, yeah. You never really know. It's hard to project. You'll see in the first couple games, you know, even if they lose five offensive linemen, they could have five offensive linemen come in and then they're ready to roll. I tend to stay away from all service academy totals, win totals. Yeah, I agree. And and then the last one I'll mention on the independent scene, I'm not jumping on this whole BYU. They don't return anything. Zach Wilson's gone. All the weapons are gone. The Romney kid is, you know, everybody's gone. And to me, it's narrative street in the year of super senior to say, well, they lost everything, so they're going to suck. That's not necessarily true. I mean, Sataki is a great coach. Uh, the problem that I have with BYU, and remember the age of the kids on this roster. It's, I mean, they're not fresh-faced, non-shaving 18-year-olds on this roster. They're going to be fine. The problem that I have with BYU is losing offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. He was responsible for a lot of the things that have been going on with Zach Wilson. That perfect potato bowl that he even threw a couple of years ago was uh, uh, you know, architected by Jeff Grimes. He's gone now as offensive coordinator, and that makes me want to take a lot of first-half unders and in individual games on BYU. So rather than play the total on them, you can expect to be hearing me on the podcast saying BYU's playing. I think I'm going to play a first-half under on the total because I don't think this is going to be the same offense that we've seen the last couple of years. It's under new management. And Sataki's a defensive coach anyways. He does a great job there. So that's it for the independents. Yeah, I'm pretty close on all the numbers outside of UMass. Uh, Notre Dame, I'm I'm actually pretty close on. And I know that you love Clark Lee. I actually love Damn. Marcus Freeman. 
yeah, we'll see what he can cook up and how quickly he can transition that defense. I have more questions about the Notre Dame quarterback situation, but I'm pretty close. Odd number there. All right, let's move on to the AAC. This is quite easy for me and and simple. <laughs> Look, Cincy's obviously the clear favorite. I kind of like the upside of Houston if you can find a good number, but it's hard to make a case for any other team besides Cincy coming out of this conference. My love is all for SMU, and I've bought them numerous times uh, at over six at various prices. I, I just love this offense. They, they lose their quarterback, Shane Bouchelle is now in the Chiefs, and I wax poetic about this on our original win totals podcast a couple weeks ago. But look, I think they have a top 25 offensive line that has like 130, 140 returning starts. They have a top 25 running back room, and they arguably have a top 25 receiving room when you include their tight ends. They bring in Grant Capitera, a highly recruited kid from Oklahoma. If he can avoid concussion issues, he's going to thrive in that Sonny Dykes air raid. You know, then Rice comes back, Roberson comes back healthy on the outside. This offense is electric. And then they have two quarterbacks who could potentially emerge as a starter. Tanner Mordecai. Highly regarded quarterback from Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley's brother is the offensive coordinator for SMU. He yeah. handpicked him and obviously talks to Lincoln Riley, so thinks that he can come in and thrive in this offense. And they have a, uh, a highly touted uh, freshman in Preston Stone who could also emerge as the quarterback. So I'm not too worried about the quarterback situation. I also think the defense, which is aggressive and will cause turnovers, but has a ton of holes and will get burnt. They bring in my favorite defensive coordinator uh, in the entire country. So, and with Jim Levitt, we all saw what he did at Florida Atlantic last year. I think that defense now takes a big step forward under the tutelage of Levitt. They brought in some power five transfers that I like, uh, you know, a linebacker that started at Oregon all of last year that comes in. Dykes is, is really recruiting well. I think that they have a, a wide receiver coming in next year that turned down like Alabama and LSU, top 10 receiver in the country. So this is a team that's on the rise. The schedule is brutal. Uh, but I think they at least get to bowl eligibility. So only bet for me in the AAC is SMU over six. I think this is an eight-win team. What do you got in the American? Yeah, 100%. Everybody should go and bet SMU over six. It's I agree with Stuck on. I'm at 6.9, uh, not to mention that when they do happen to run the ball, U- Ulysses Bentley's first team all ACC. He had like 170 rushing attempts. He had 31 missed tackles. Uh, the schedule, I mean, five clear-cut double-digit favorites in their first six games, and then a bunch of coin flips to get the over. So I love that play. There's there's a, a lot of plays for me in the AAC. It all starts at the top of Cincinnati. I can't go into enough about having the shutdown corners that they have. The only team in the nation, I'm including every team in the nation that's better at the corner position, is LSU. That's it. So Cincinnati returns. on the offense, 72% on the defense. While the corners are the story on the defensive side of the ball, Desmond Ritter's – Ahmad Garner, best corner in football. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And 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 that goes with Kobe Bryant, too. Uh, that's the uh, hard to forget that name on the other shutdown corner. But, you know, Desmond Ritter, just a level of explosiveness that we did not see coming last year after a couple of years in the system as a 19 to 6 TD at INT ratio and a quarterback rating that jumped from 82 up to 106. He had 12 big time throws and only six turnover worthy plays uh, when that and that was in a that was in a, a clean pocket. Uh, and, you know, listen, the, if you want to go down to the number, you think, well, I mean, Colin's telling me to take Cincinnati to win 
AAC, but what's the price point? And that's a really good question because this originally opened up at minus 160 when I was out in Vegas uh, on Memorial weekend. And now I'm seeing numbers fluctuate between minus 170 and minus 220. Let me be clear. There's not a lot of competition here. There's no more divisions. It's now like the Big 12. The top two teams are going to face each other in the conference championship game. The team that's the number one seed is the host. That's where it's even more advantageous to Cincinnati. They could host the damn game in Nippert. So there is nobody. I mean, UCF travels there. That I mean, there's some competition there. But uh, Tulsa's got you know plenty of defense remaining besides Zayvon Collins. Cincinnati is a buy up to minus 220. And the reason is because in the championship game, that's about what the money line price is going to be. So if you see minus 170s out there, I saw them out there today. I would hammer them. I've already hammered them for a dime myself. No real play on Central Florida uh, with the head coaching change with Gus Malzahn. A win total of 9-7. Uh, it's listed at 9-5. I think the one thing that we need to keep our eyes on is G.J. Kinney. That was the hot name at Hawaii last year when you and I wanted to bet on go-go offense, right? The go-go spread. Uh, it just didn't happen because now Todd Graham's doing his own thing. We'll save that for the Mountain West conversation. So keep your eyes on what Central Florida is doing there. Uh, with Kenny as offensive coordinator, whether he's running Malzahn's plays or Malzahn's running himself. I can actually make a, a case for Houston here. Uh, there's no Central Florida on the schedule. There's no Cincinnati on the schedule. The problem is, is I make the number 8-4, and it's about 8-5 across the board. I do love Tulsa. They lose Zayvon Collins. It's a number I projected 7.5, and the market's at 6.5. Davis Brent is now the quarterback. If you don't know that name, he's the guy that came in and threw three touchdowns in that unbelievable, crazy two-lane game. He came in in the fourth quarter down in Skelly and threw those touchdowns. Seth Boomer is going to remain the backup, and Davis Brennan is now the starting quarterback. Uh, I think what's important to know is that they do lose Zayvon Collins, and that accounts for about 18% of the defense that they'll be missing. But there is a ton of havoc coming back to this team. Uh, 74% returns on defense, their top 20 in advanced stats and everything from success rate to finishing drives. Uh, they have players like Kendarin uh, Ray with seven pass breakups. Uh, Justin Wright had seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks from Anthony Goodlow. There are a lot of players on this Tulsa team that can fill in for Zayvon Collins. So I like over six and a half on Tulsa. Uh, I would play it up to seven and a half. Once you get outside there, it's really some bad teams and some, and, and I just couldn't make a case to go over some of these low numbers. I mean, when you see totals as low as like three and a half, you look for reasons to play on. I couldn't find that with Navy. I'm not sure how they get over the, the posted total of three and a half. Uh, I mean, last year it wasn't great to be tackling tires in the off season, getting ready for BYU, but that's, you know, I'm kind of wiping away Navy's numbers because offensively they're plug and play. They just find guys to run the triple option teach them how to do it, but they haven't really identified that. Uh, and if you look at them, the last three games, Navy allowed just 14 points against Memphis, Tulsa, and Army. They get their top nine tacklers back, but they were 126 in defensive havoc. They're not taking the ball away from anybody. They didn't take the ball away from anybody in those last three games where they actually showed up. Uh, their winnable games are Air Force, maybe East Carolina, not Marshall. Uh, I, I just can't see a way to get to four wins on this Navy, so I'll take under three and a half there. I, I would disagree just on that one. I mean, my number is right around where it is, but it's just really hard to project these triple option teams. I mean, Navy in 2018 went three and 10. The next year they went 11 and two. Right. Um, so, you know, and Navy, if, if everything works out and, you know, their running game is back, it was historically bad last year. Then all of a sudden, you know, they could be in any game with anybody. You have these 10 minute drives and condensed games. So, 
I, 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 again, I have to stay away from the service academy window. Okay. Yeah, it's actually kind of crazy on Navy because all this great red zone, I don't want to call it luck because they actually executed. But a couple of years ago, they were, I think they were shooting 90% in the red zone and scoring touchdowns. Like, like TD scoring in the red zone was, was like all-time legendary stuff. Last year, that kind of fell apart. So uh, under three and a half, I'm going to do some shopping around, see if we can find maybe a four. But Navy is a team I'm looking on the under, but a real under that I, I just, I cannot make how this team gets to four wins with a posted total of three and a half is South Florida. They went one and eight last year under new head, new head coach, the former coordinator that came in from Clemson. Jordan McLeod is now transferred over to Arizona. Now Katarvis Marsh and, and Cade Fortin combined for just 18 completions last season. So we have no clue what we're going to get under center. Both sides of the ball are below national average and returning experience in a year that's based on super senior, even South Florida can't get any of that back. The offense was just an unmitigated disaster in nine games. We're talking 106 in success rate, 125th in finishing drives. Only 127 teams played, so it's kind of hard to be that bad. Uh, 119th in havoc allowed. That just doesn't fix itself overnight when you're constantly got people in the backfield fumbling the ball. Uh, you know, with McLeod gone, you can only blame so much of this on Jordan McLeod at quarterback. Uh, this offensive line was still 110th in sack rate. They were still 105th in line yards. It all starts in the trench. They don't have it. They haven't fixed it. Uh, Jeff Scott called Cam Aiken in from Clemson. Uh, it's going to be the Bulls running back coach. Uh, but this is still an offensive coordinator that has minimal experience. And Charlie Weiss Jr., I know he was at Florida Atlantic. And I know Glenn Spencer was there at the time. And they won that bowl game for FAU once Kiffin left town. But other than that, I mean, these are a bunch of coaches that are searching for answers here on a 1-8 and eight team with a trench that is just is not producing. So if you look at their schedule, who's South Florida going to beat? Florida A&M, uh, I mean, that comes after East Carolina, BYU, Houston. They should be 7 to 13-point underdogs to all those teams I just named. You get outside of Florida A&M, I can't find a win on this schedule. So South Florida under 3.5 for me, I can't even make three wins. So no bulls for me this year. Yeah, the one I disagree with you on is Tulsa. Just, I mean, I can make a case. It, it's going to depend on how well Bryn plays. He played well coming in. That's, right. I just think Boomer's terrible. But you look at how important was Collins. That's that's the question on that defense. I know a player can play it on that defensive line. Uh, he's a great player, but intended. And but you look at some, what they did last year. How many comeback wins did they have? I mean, they would just get down. I mean, you look at the, the two lane game. It was an absolute miracle. Then they they beat didn't South Florida? They should have lost. They got all those botched calls. Yeah. Um, there was just some lucky wins for Tulsa. It'll, it'll come down to how Bryn plays because last year, Zach Smith, their quarterback, he just wasn't efficient early on in games. If Bryn can actually bring some more efficiency to the passing attack, look, then I can I can get on board. I'm not playing under on Tulsa, but just playing devil's advocate there. All right, good stuff. If you had to say one, your favorite bet in the AAC, what would it be? I'll go South Florida under three and a half. I, I literally – Cannot for the life of me. And I mean, I've checked all everybody else and, and and got as much info as I can on this team. There's no direction. There's no trench. And I don't think there's any hope for them getting to four wins. All right, let's move on to the Mountain West. Should be a fascinating conference. A lot of returning production across the board here. You're seeing that across the country, but specifically in this conference, a lot of experienced teams. We'll start in the Mountain Division, 
Air Force, Boise, Colorado State, New Mexico, Utah State, and Wyoming. Yeah, some team Air Force, it's all right, they got to replace, they bring a lot back. They had a bunch of kids who didn't play last year, basically their entire defense, and who are all going to be back this year. Last year, they had basically just their offensive line returning. Well, now they get everybody back except their offensive line, which is the strength of the team. How well can they replace their offensive linemen? Again, really hard to project. Service Academy team, I want no part of it. New Mexico still rebuilding. Utah State as well. Colorado State, I think, is still trying to figure out where they want to go. So I think this really comes down to Boise State and Wyoming. I personally, I think if you can find like a 12 to 1 in Wyoming, it's a, I think it's worth a fly. They do travel to Boise State, but this is a team. Can their quarterback stay healthy? Can Chambers stay healthy? He's had three season ending injuries, but look, it's a really experienced team with a great home field advantage. And they get a lot of opt outs on defense back last year. Their defense was a lot better last year than I thought after they had a bunch of key opt outs not play. They're all back this year with a defense that was really stingy. Wyoming's a really interesting team. Boise State's clearly the favorite. I actually went under nine wins on Boise, minus 110 and minus 115. Look, and look, first of all, they're going through a coaching change. They're going to have a new offensive coordinator. They do have two ex- quarterbacks back with experience in Hank Backmire and Jack Sears. I'm just not a believer in Backmire. I think it's going to get the nod to start. If he's ineffective, maybe Sears comes in. He's just so inconsistent. That offensive line, I still have questions about as well. I know they have really talented receivers on the outside. But even if you look at the defense, a lot of experience up front, but they lose their two-star corners, one of which is one of the all-time great returners on special teams in college football history they'll miss him there I just there's a a lot of questions I have about this Boise team look at the schedule they start at Central Florida and they I think that that line opened like seven to ten it's down to three and a half four but they're underdogs in that game and then they come home for UTEP and but then they get Oklahoma State at home and they'll be dogs in that game then they go to BYU game could go either way so wouldn't shock me if they had three losses in the non-conference portion of their schedule. So, you know, they could easily go one and three. I think they probably end up going two and two, but it wouldn't shock me if they go one and three. They do get Wyoming and Nevada at home on the Smurf turf, which is important. They could drop those games, but they will be favorites there. Wyoming also has a bye week before going to the Smurf turf. So that's something to consider as well. And then they have road games against Fresno and San Diego State in the season finale. They could easily drop one or both of those games. So uh, really it comes down to a numbers play for me. I make their win total closer to eight. Look, they could start one and three in non-conference play, and the worst you could do is push. Uh, So I'm selling Boise. Do you agree there? And then what do you have in the mountain division? I make it 8.4 on Boise, but that's not the reason to take the under. To me, it, you're you're taking a lot of new ingredients and you're throwing it in the pot and you're still expecting the, the meal to be perfect as it always has been. So you've hired in Andy Avalos, uh, former defensive coordinator here, uh, moved on to Oregon defensive coordinator there. Now he's the head coach. And obviously all he knows is defense and how to create havoc. And so he needed an offensive mind. He went to UC Davis and got Tim Plo. And he comes in as the new offensive coordinator. He's the former UC Davis offensive coordinator. And he had some really productive seasons in FCS. But what needs to be known is that UC Davis threw about 45 times a game. They throw a lot. So this whole Boise State, you know, rushing the ball and, and, and you know, kind of having an attitude that we're going to, you know, put it down your throat, that's gone. Uh, the new Boise offensive frame mindset is going to be passing all the time. They got a quarterback in Hank Bachemeyer that can do it. but 
what's that going to do to the defense? So, you know, Boise is going to be pass happy. They return 80% on both sides of the ball. You know, I just think it's priced way too high. You're going down to humid central Florida, down to Orlando, you know, when it's still going to be like 95 degrees and then you're hosting Oklahoma state. So you don't have a lot of room for air in a mountain West conference to me, that is highly improved. Like I love a lot of the teams in this conference. One of them is Wyoming and I'm going over on Wyoming and the seven and a half, you know, I lean on the under for Boise. I'll let you take that one, but I'm going to go over on why on Wyoming. I'm not exactly sure if they can go up to Boise and actually win that game, but this is the eighth year of Craig bowl. He returns 95% of his offense. They lost Sean chambers, like on the first drive, but you know, they get him back. They have, they have depth at quarterback. They have depth in the trenches. The defense comes back after, you know, putting up some pretty scary numbers. If you look at who Wyoming draws from the West division, it's two of the bottom seller teams in Fresno and Hawaii. We don't know how Fresno is going to be, how good they're going to be. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, that Friday night trip to Boise on November 12th is really going to dictate the division. That's why I'm opting for the win total. You know, Sean Chambers was hurt in the first series and that got Levi Williams in. He had 110 quarterback rating despite injury in the last two games of the season, uh, the entire backfield returns. And there's some explosive weapons on the outside from Aiden Eberhardt and Isaiah Nair. Tight end Trayton Welch had just five catches, but he averaged uh, 19 yards per catch. So maybe they'll go to the tight end a little bit more. The defense is solid. One of the best trenches in the group of five. This is a number I projected eight and a half. I think they're going to go over. You know, there's a lot of games on this schedule where they're going to be live dogs. Uh, some really short spreads for, from an underdog perspective. I believe in Craig Bowl, and besides that Boise game, I think they could probably win them all and on schedule. Yeah, don't hate going over on Wyoming. Love validate their running back there, and like I said, that defense should be loaded after getting some of the opt outs back from 2020. All right, let's move on to the West Division. Uh, I'll make a case for my Nevada Wolfpack. Nevada plus 500 to win the Mountain West Conference. I don't like the win total over just because the schedule is vicious. I mean, in the first four weeks, and I misspoke. I said Wyoming has a bye before going to Boise. Nevada actually has a bye before going to Boise. But within their first four games, they're at Cal, at Kansas State, and at Boise. Um, they do get Idaho State at home, but they could lose all three of those games. They do at least get a bye before Nevada, but it's just a brutal, brutal road schedule. They also go to San Diego State, to Colorado State, to Fresno State. Now, a lot of their games at home are winnable, and they do get San Jose State at home, which is in a revenge spot from last year, which is huge for the division and could end up being the tiebreaker. I ultimately think it will end up being so. But I have this team power rated as the best team in the conference. So I'm taking the upside. These these coin flip games early on in the non-conference, you know, where they're slight dogs. I don't want any part of the win total. Uh, but I just I love this team. I think we'll start on the defensive side, which hasn't been their strong suit in recent years. But I think they finally have some more bulk up front of the four two five defense. Dom Peterson is a stud. I like some of the transfers they brought in for the secondary. So I think the defense is going to be improved, and that offense is just a rocket ship. I mean. One of the reasons I bought into Nevada all year last year was Carson Strong. He just exceeded all expectations in the second year of that air raid, which I expected it would take a big jump. I didn't think he would be that good. Carson Strong was potential at the next level. Who knows? He could end up going late first round if he has a hell of a year this year. Romeo Dubs had a breakout year at receiver, and now they get Elijah Cooks back, who might be their best NFL wide receiver prospect. He comes back. Now it's hard to double Dubs on the outside. Cole Turner is a monster at tight end. 
experienced offensive line. I mean, this offense is going to score third year of the air raid for Carson Strong leading that offense. Good special teams unit. Schedule's brutal, but they do get a bye before going to that Boise game. And most importantly, they host San Jose State, who I think is going to really he's going to miss their two stud wide receivers, uh, Trey Walker and and Bailey Gaither, more than people are anticipating. I think Nevada gets that game, which is the difference in the division. And I'm lower on Boise than most, so screw the division, screw the win total. I'm going plus five hundred to win the Mountain West. Go Pack, go! I'm completely behind you on this. I think Nevada at five to one to win the Mountain West is a play to make, but I might actually wait to hit that number. There are shops available that will put up conference odds in the middle of the season after a first few weeks. There is a great chance that this Nevada team starts off getting into mid-October without an FBS win on their schedule. They could start off one and three, Cal, Kansas State, Boise State, all on the road to start. I think Idaho State, they can win that game, but that doesn't count as a FBS win. So, yeah, absolutely staying away from the win total. But this Nevada team can win the last seven games on this schedule. No problem whatsoever. And if you want to know how good Carson Strong has been, a 27-4 to TD to INT ratio, that is backed up when you look at the fact that he's had – 23 big-time throws and only seven turnover-worthy plays uh, through last year. So Carson Strong is just on another level in this Mountain West. Uh, I, I absolutely love this team. But I think this is something where they could drop that first conference game to Boise and some of these shops to put up conference odds, like, you know, in early October, that's when you want to fire on Nevada because they can win the last seven games on this schedule. So I'm with you there. Uh, there's another team in here that I wanted to talk about, which is Fresno State. Because it seems like everybody just kind of forgot about Kalen DeBoer. And Fresno went through some things last year that people don't, you know, realize. They're a team out of California. They were locked out of their facilities forever. California had one of the, you know, as far as COVID rules go, like they couldn't get into their facilities, I think, until the week that they had to play. You know, both success rate and explosiveness were top 35 and running back uh, Ronnie Rivers returns. The schedule is, you know, pretty unkind. It makes a difference in the projections with Nevada for the division. So I'm not really looking for Fresno to win the division. But the Bulldogs host Boise. They travel to Wyoming. And in mid-October, they, they get San Jose State to end the season. The defense in 2020 under defensive coordinator William Inge ranked 17th in success rate and 23rd in Havoc. That was a surprise. Complete surprise that Fresno was able to pull that off. With Kalen DeBoer going there, we thought it was the offense that would probably carry all the water on this team. But the list of opponents in 2020, they didn't really present that much difficulty if you look at their schedule. So I don't know how much we put into those numbers, but Fresno's top 12 tacklers are back and they should be ready to go in the opener against UConn. The schedule is really tough. Oregon, UCLA, uh, there's no doubt there's four wins on this schedule with UNLV, UConn, New Mexico, and Cal Poly. There's four wins right there for Kalen DeBoer to win. I think Fresno can win those games. After that, you get into a handful of coin flips, San Diego State, San Jose State, Hawaii. There is a lot of chances on this schedule to get to six wins. I like over six on Fresno. I think we've all kind of forgotten how great Kalen DeBoer was as an offensive coordinator in Indiana. Ronnie Rivers is an explosive running back. Uh, Give me Fresno State over six. Are you buying or selling your boy – Nick Starkle in his uh, Justin Bieber shirt. I saw he retweeted a funny story that someone wrote. It was like the worst quarterbacks in the SEC since 2016 or something. Yeah. And it had Starkle for Texas A&M and then Starkle for Arkansas. Are you buying San Jose State after a surprise season in 2020? 
Uh, it's a hold. When we're talking about stocks, buy, sell, hold, it's a hold for me. And the reason is something that we talked about on the Pac-12 podcast. The person that was the architect for this San Jose State comeback was Ryan Gunderson, the passing game coordinator. He worked wonders with Starkle, really trimming up some of the turnover-worthy plays that he had at Arkansas and he had at Texas A&M, which got him to San Jose State in the first place. He's no longer on the San Jose State staff. Uh, I mean, their numbers are, are, are really priced correctly. Uh, a really high win total. Odds for the Mountain West are not that great. I think if you're going to look for a long shot over to hit, I think you got to look at San Diego State. <laughs> I don't want to get thrown out of here for taking overs on San Diego State. Oh, no. I love the Aztecs over six and a half. Uh, San Diego State overs have started in August. I don't know if I'm going to take individual game overs, but I am going to take San Diego State over six and a half lottery. You know, Brady Hoax in his second year, the Aztecs finished first in success rate, third in defensive havoc, 21st in finishing drives. I mean, that sounds like a bad number, but that's still top 25. Uh, So the 335 is going to stay intact. Uh, There's not going to be a lot of changes there. It really comes down again to me betting on offensive coordinator Jeff Heklinski. Uh, you know, stability at the quarterback position is needed after they just had a number of stats fall outside the top 100. Uh, you know, the team, I'm, I'm not going to be betting overs, but Carson Baker's gone and Lucas Johnson should get the, should get the, uh, the nod at quarterback, even though he had uh, just 24 attempts and Jordan uh, Brookshire had 74. Johnson had an average depth of target of 12.1 yards. He can throw it deep and he had one big time throw and no turnover worthy plays. On eight rushing attempts, he went for 10 yards piece. So he's got some legs. He can throw the ball. He didn't make any bad decisions. He's penciled in as the starter here. But if you look at the schedule, San Diego State's going to play New Mexico State, UNLV, New Mexico, Towson. I mean, those are all wins right there. Once you get past – and just the defense alone could win that. No matter if we get anything from the offense or not, those are wins. Hawaii, they can't stop rushing attacks. That's bad against San Diego State. Chalk that up as a win. We don't know where Arizona is going. And by game two, uh, is there, you know, San Diego State's defense going to be good enough to shut down Jed Fish? That's another possible win. So the five games leading up to the season ending game against Boise State, they all act as a hedge to this win total. I absolutely think San Diego State's going to get to six wins pretty fast. And then you're going to have five games towards the end of the season on this schedule where you can hedge out of a win total of six and a half. So I'm going to stay away from the Totals on the overs weekly on San Diego State. I feel like, you know, Heklinski is going to get this offense going at some point once he gets stable quarterback play. But I love San Diego State over six and a half. Lots of chances to get out of this bet after they win six games early in the season. Shocker. I actually think Lucas Johnson is terrible. So that's why I (laughs) am not buying San Diego State. And we will see if you do avoid those uh, San Diego State overs. Easy to say now in August, but we'll see come September. All right, let's finish up and move on. And a better way to finish up the Group of Five podcast than with some action. Look, the Mac, it's really hard to take, you know, we, we talk about priors and how much to weigh last year, and it's difficult because it was such a unique year for many teams. It was just... It's especially difficult with the MAC. You had, you know, just conference-only schedules. In some cases, some teams only played three games. You know, I think Ohio only played three games, and two of them came against Bowling Green and Akron. I mean, what, what can you take from that? So, really hard to, de- to decipher some of the results from last year, some teams more so than others. But let's dive in here. Let's, we might as well start with the MAC East, and we'll just get the, get the shit out of the way. 
in, in, out of the way now. Let's start with Bowling Green. Uh, and Shield your eyes. This team is officially trash. Over one and a half plus 110. Look, this team stunk last year. It was one of the youngest teams I've ever seen in my entire life. They couldn't do anything. They didn't lead for a single second. They got blown out by Akron. They didn't win a game. Matt McDonald returns under center, former Boston College quarterback. He was awful last year. Worst quarterback in the country by any measure. Now, he had offseason shoulder surgery. Maybe he wasn't healthy. Uh, his like throw motion just looked Yeah, Does that explain his throwing motion? Maybe that like will help their passing game. But here's the problem. Their offensive line got depleted by transfers, a medical retirement, they only returned 14 career starts on the offensive line. That's projected out four freshman starters. And 10 of those 14 starts are by their, their right guards. That means their other four have combined for four total starts. Uh, so, you know, then you look at their – they lost their top two pass catchers, including they had a first-team all-Mac tight end. He's gone. Uh, their best receiver's gone. Their running back room is decent, but they don't have an offensive line. They don't have a receiver. Who knows? McDonald, who missed the whole spring – their two backup quarterbacks are freshmen. They also missed the spring. And then the spring got cut short because of COVID. Not great, Bob, for a team that's trying to rebuild from scratch with 75% of the roster is still freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Uh, look, the defense was couldn't stop a nosebleed. They do get rid of Brian Van Gorder, which I think is a positive. Anytime yes. you get rid of Brian Van Gorder, it's good. They're going to change from a 4-3 to a 3-4. How much worse can it really get than last year? I don't know, but they lose their two best linebackers and their top corner who all transferred out. It's just freshmen across the board. This is going to take another two to three years. They never promised in recruiting class, but here's the question. What it really boils down to this team stinks, but if you want to bet over one and a half, it's slight plus money, which I won't, I won't, I, I project them at like 1.3. I won't put my money near this team and I won't recommend you do, but you'd have to look for three possible wins. They have three games or if everything broke right, they could win at home. Murray State, South Alabama, and Akron. Revenge game against Akron. Uh, I think they probably win one game. Um, I can't see them getting two. I make the number 1.3. I'm not betting over one and a half with this team that's still in complete rebuild mode. What is your number? <laughs> My win total on them is 0.97. They are projected to be minus four and a half against Murray State. If you were to integrate Sagar and ratings in there, once you get past that, it, it, this will lead into the next team. I, I can't go over a nope. one and a half number, but this will lead into the next team. To me, with the Akron game, it all depends on Tion Dollard. Tion Dollard and his status uh, per some of the issues that he's having off the field means everything to Akron futures to me. Yeah, Tion Dollard, who shined last year running back, despite a really bad offensive line. He's currently suspended for a gun charge. Status is unclear. Apparently, he's in like a diversion program, so if he completes that, the charges could get dropped. But who knows if he's going to play? The quarterback room has some experience. Zach Gibson, who's just always been terrible, but he has no help at offensive line. And then Cato Nelson, you'll probably remember that name. He was out last year with shoulder surgery. DJ Irons, a Juco transfer, is also in the mix. They do have six of the top seven targets back at receiver, but they do lead their top receiver, Nate Stewart, who transferred to Montana State. The offensive line has been so bad the past two years. There is at least some experience this year. That, yes, there's four projected redshirt freshmen to start around their center, but all four have starting experience, at least last year. The defensive line, they lost everybody. It's really undersized. That's the biggest question. See, they can just be pushed around. The linebackers, strength of the team. First team, all Mac Bubba. 
Arslanian and, and Brandon Bischoff both clean up a ton of tackles, but the defensive line is just so bad. You would expect just experience to help the secondary. Again, still a bad team, bottom five in the country, over two minus 110. Where do you find the wins? Okay, they play Brian at home, win. I mean, that's a clear win. Uh, <laughs> and then they're at, they're at Bowling Green. So they'll be favored in that game. Um, do you have them as a favorite there? Yeah, I've got Akron minus six against Bowling Green. Yeah, they'll be a favorite there, but they could drop that game. Bowling Green, although other Bowling Green, I think will their losing streak will be over because they should beat Murray State. You would think maybe, but if not, you know it's revenge, and this is maybe if they lose to Murray State, this is the one chance Bowling Green has. So can I go over two minus one ten? I don't know. I can't find if Doward plays. I think they could win those two games, and they're at two. Where else do they win? I mean, they have to pull off an upset at home. They're not going to win on the road against anyone. Against Kent. Temple, mm-hmm. Buffalo, Ohio, Ball State, or Kent. I mean, those are tough teams in the MAC. So it's tough for me. I project 2.0 on the dot yeah. for Akron with the uncertainty of Dollard. So I can't go over, unfortunately, as much as I wanted to. We will have to just find a place, a spot to play Akron during the season. No play on the win total. Yeah, Bryant and Bowling Green obviously being the wins. And for me, if you're going to beat Kent State at home towards the end of the season, you have to have a player that misses tackles, and that guy is Tion Dollard. So until we get information on Tion Dollard. And why do I say Kent State? Yeah, Kent State's offense is like the excellence of Maction, but their their defense has fallen off even more of a cliff. Uh, I guess if you want to lead into them, I mean, number one overall in success rate, uh, number one in finishing drives offensively. Offensively, Sean Lewis has this thing clicking. They can't seem to stop anybody from moving the chains and scoring. And it can, it's going to continue to be an issue for Kent State this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, that'll lead into my my future. I actually played Kent State 14-1 to 1 to win the MAC, and here's my case for it. Uh, the, the win total is only 5.5. Over, they're over 5.5 plus 115. I would lean over there, but I just prefer the upside. And it's not necessarily as much as the upside as it is I'm fading the rest of this division. All right, so if you look at Ohio, Frank Solich left – after the, he's winning his coach in Mac history, their longtime offensive coordinator takes over, but it just happened in, in July. Leaves the staff kind of scrambling. They also, you know, they lose their two best defenders, and they still don't have a quarterback, right? They have Armani Rogers, the UNLV transfer, and Nathan Rourke. Nathan Rourke underwent off-season shoulder surgery as well, a theme in the Mac. He's more of the thrower. Rogers is more of the dual threat. I think Rourke has the edge right now in camp, but they've said they want to use them both. But they have two different skill sets, and I hate when teams rotate quarterbacks. New coach, quarterback questions, no thanks. So that's Ohio. That's one of the contenders uh, in in the MAC East. Then you move on to Miami of Ohio. Look, Brett Gabbert comes back, who had an amazing 2019 freshman year when they won the conference. They'll get their two top backs back from 2019. They really missed them last year. And Bester and, and Shelton, good receivers. The defense returns 10 starters. Really good linebackers, although they do lose their best corner. Corner is a big question. They lost Rugamba. But the defense should be solid. They can get after the quarterback, defend the run. But my question is that offensive line. I mean, that offensive line got gutted, and that's generally been the strength of Miami of Ohio. Uh, I mean, look, you have you have 6'8 left tackle Tommy O'Doyle left for the NFL, got selected by the Bills in the fifth round. You have your stud center, Danny Godlewski, He transferred to Oklahoma State. They have no players who've started over 10 games in their career coming back. So I have questions about that offensive line. And then you move on to Buffalo. In May, May the whole staff leaves. And they take, <laughs> you know, eight to ten players with them. I mean, you look across the board, you have three 
defensive tackles who transferred, uh, linebacker, I mean, across, uh, linebacker, corners. You know, they lost their, their leading receiver. They lost their leading rusher in Jared Patterson. I, I mean, the and, offensive line. And they line never win recruiting. They, Buffalo yeah, never, never win recruiting. recruiting in the MAC. Yeah, I mean, uh, the offensive line got absolutely got a third-team All-Mac guard, Jacob Gall, transferred to Baylor. Uh, I was sick. I went to the NFL. He just signed with the Eagles, their stud left tackle. Uh, you know, they lost Ishman to a transfer. Their offensive line coach left. They returned the third fewest starts of any offensive line in the country. Bad. None is gone at receiver. Their stud tight end is gone. Patterson is gone. I know Kevin Marks is a good backup, but this offense, I think, is going to take a major step back. I, I'm selling Buffalo. I'm under seven and a half on them. Uh, I know the number was higher, but look, so these are teams, Buffalo, major questions. Miami, Ohio with their offensive line. Ohio with who's their quarterback, coaching change. I mean, they have a coach who hasn't been a head coach since like 1997, I think, at Northwestern Oklahoma State. Major questions, that leaves Kent State. And Kent State's defense stinks, but they at least they have eight of their top nine tackles return. It's really the run defense. They just anyone can run all over them. Because I, I like some of their, their pieces they have in the secondary. Elvis Hines, I think, is a good corner. Cheryl comes back at safety. Can yeah. they do anything from a scheme perspective or just experience to stop the run? Because they really can't. I mean, you saw them against Buffalo. Buffalo just ran it down their throat and put up 70 points. But they have the best quarterback in the conference in Dustin Crum. They have the best, I think, offensive line in the conference. They did lose Isaiah McQuitt, receiver. But they still have, you know, Vance went down in the spring. But they have a, a couple of Syracuse transfers who I think will contribute. And Nikeem Johnson, who I think is a stud. Uh, tight end Aaron Hackett as well. You know, so I think that they're – they're fine at receiver. The offense is just a machine at this point. It, it really doesn't matter who you even plug into this fat, flash, fast, aggressive offense with Crum, who can run the ball, you can throw it. I think they're going to be in the mix. And with questions I have with these other teams in the division, I've, I found a 14 to one out there. I, I'm selling Buffalo. Uh, so I'm going under on Buffalo. I bought Kent state 14 to one to win the conference. Those are my only plays in the East. I have three in the West, which we'll get to. Any thoughts? Well, Ken say that 14 to one is a great number because when you look at this East division, which you know, we've labeled as shit. And so Kent state by default, no defense in this division can keep up with what they do offensively. We're talking number one in finishing drives, ninth in line yards, top 10, and almost everything I'm staring at passing success rate, rushing success rate, top 10. And the thing is, is nobody in that division can handle that. Then when you look at the schedule, who they pull from the other side, there are some pretty big teams over in the West division, except Kent state didn't get them. They get to avoid Toledo. They get to avoid ball state. They get Northern Illinois on the schedule. Those are all positives for Kent state in a whole division that's going through transition with the two best teams losing their head coaches from the bottom while well, we got surgery going on with the quarterback of Bowling Green. We got Tion Dollard. We don't know if he's going to be there for Akron. This is Kent State's division to win. So if you can find a Kent State division number, that's great. But at 14 to 1, what Stucky's saying is, is you're going to head into the MAC championship game with a large ticket to hedge on against one of these powerhouses that's going to come out of the West. I love it. Or you let it ride and they win it like we did with Ball State last year, yeah. nine to one. Yeah, the one team you didn't mention, Miami of Ohio, who does have offensive line questions, but they have their coach and a little more stability. Kent State hosts them in the season finale, and that could decide the division at home. So a lot of value in Kent State, I think, at 14, 12 to one, I think is out there too. I wouldn't go much lower than that. All right, let's move over to the West and finish up here. I think the West is a fascinating race. I, I, you know, you have Toledo. Western Michigan, Ball State, the defending champs. You can really make cases for all of them. Even Central Michigan, I think it's a little tougher to make cases for 
Eastern Michigan and especially Northern Illinois. How beautiful is Maction? How beautiful is Maction? <laughs> oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maction. Let's start at the bottom once again, just with Northern Illinois. Look, Ross Bowers left a quarterback. Who's in now? It's Rocky Lombardi, who we hate. So, <laughs> I, I mean, the rest of the offense is intact. I mean, Tyrese Ritchie's a good receiver. And they do lose a, they do lose a second-team All-Mac tight end in Daniel Crawford. And then they bring in a, a Youngstown transfer. But the rest of the offense is there, but it's still really young. You want to talk about a team that's young? Young. Thomas Hammock in his third year came from the Baltimore Ravens. You would think that this team has – little more experience. They don't. I mean, four, four of the five projected starters are still underclassmen. Everyone on the defensive line, all four starters are projected to be freshmen. Look at their linebacking group. DeVoe should come back at middle linebacker. He's missed the past two seasons. He's a senior with due to injury. If he's healthy, that'll help. Unfortunately, Kyle Pugh, their projected senior outside linebacker, he suffered an injury in the spring. He's out. So what's that mean? Two freshmen are projected on the outside. The secondary started two freshmen last year. The entire two deep does return, and Jordan Gandy is a pretty good player, but they are going to start three freshmen in the secondary. I mean, there are just fre- – there's no seniors on this team. Freshmen, freshmen, freshmen all over. So I think there are a couple teams – a couple seasons away, and I'm not a Rocky Lombardi fan. Uh, win totals four. I went under. I paid minus 125 to go under four. Look, here's their four non-conference games in September. At Georgia Tech, that's a loss. At home against Wyoming, that's a loss. At Michigan, that's a loss. Home against Maine. We'll give them one and three. So they start one and three. Here's their road schedule in conference. Toledo, Central Michigan, Kent State, and Buffalo. Mm-mm, don't see any wins there. I know the max is unpredictable, but that should be 0-4. And, and then that leaves four league home games against Eastern Michigan. Okay, we'll give them a win. Bowling Green, okay, we'll give them a win. They're at three. Ball State and Western Michigan, no. So, I mean, I see three. Yeah, maybe they get to four. I, I can't see them sweeping those games to get to five wins. So I'm right around projected three wins. And, and I don't like Lombardi, and this team is just so young. They're still a, a year or two away if Hammock wants to get this team back to in bowl contentions. I went under four on Northern Illinois. Any thoughts there? No, I completely agree. Projection at 3.4. I don't know where they get those wins from, but Thomas Hammock in his third year. 0-6 record last year. Four of those opponents scored 40 points defensively they fell outside the top 100 in defensive success rate they finished 90th in defensive havoc everything is going in the wrong direction for thomas for thomas hammock so you know we'll see if he can turn it around here with this young roster but i mean the schedule is unkind rocky lombardi at quarterback is not the answer no play for me but there's no way they get to five wins yeah all right let's move to the top of the conference to try and just pick out uh, who's going to come out of this Ball State, I wanted to sell, even though I was all in on Ball State last year. I wanted to sell them. I mean, look, I benefited from them financially, and I hope a lot of you did too. But we got fairly lucky. I mean, they were four and one in one possession games, plus nine turnover margin. They just got so many timely stops and turnovers late. I'm just not sure they can duplicate that success. High regression candidate in a lot of those departments. They did end up finishing. And look, they played San Jose State in the bowl game, who was missing a, a ton of players, but they finished in the top 25. They're trying to get their first back-to-back winning season since 2013. Drew Plitt comes back. They return a ton of production across the board. They do have to replace one cornerback, which is something to watch. They lose their star running back, but they didn't have him for a lot of last year. I think they're the best receiving duo in the conference in Hall. And Tyler Hall, I think, is the returning receiving leader in all of FBS. But, and look, all five starters are on the offensive line. It's a story of, look, every, but they're now they're the hunted. And I don't think that they're, but look, I make the win total seven and a half. So the win total was set at seven and a half. 
the market. I thought they were good, the market was going to be really high on them high after what happened last year, but pretty fair pr- prices across the board. Then you have a Western Michigan team. If you like fireworks, man, this offense can go. I think Elby's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the country. Uh, this is a kid who has a rocket arm. who finished in the top three, and you name the statistic, he was in the top three last year. Net Adjusted net yards per play, yards per play, quarterback rating, completion percentage, all of it across the board. They do lose Dwayne Eskridge, who was just a phenomenal talent, but this, they have so much talent still on the outside, a loaded running back room. The offense is going to score. They're going to put up 40-plus points most games. The question's on the defense. Holly, Fayette up to, uh, on the defensive line, that's the strength. They can get pressure on opposing quarterback. But the secondary, I mean, the secondary is just gets torched, and they lose all-MAC cornerback Patrick Lupro, who is – not playing this year to focus on studies. I think that just means he's academically ineligible. So they, they're they going to have a pit transfer comes back from injury. They need him to step up. It's projected right now a, a receiver that they transitioned to corner is going to start at corner. So the, it's really scary in the secondary. If the defense can improve just a little bit on the back end, this team can win the conference. If not, they're just going to be in these shootouts that are just high variance that can go either way, which we saw with Western Michigan last year. And then you have Toledo, which I think is the most complete team in the conference. They just need to find a quarterback because Eli Peters medically retired. You have a, a Georgia Tech transfer, Tucker Gleason in there. You have Carter Bradley, a redshirt freshman, Dequan Finn. They're in a competition right now. If they find a quarterback, this team, the offense is going to be great. Kobach running the ball. They return all 11 starters on defense. This team just has experience for days. The defense, look, Deshaun Johnson – I think he's on the Nagurski list. Defensive end Jamal Hines. They're you know Deontay Johnson. They're they have two, a linebacker a stud. Two All Mac safeties. A lockdown corner and Womack, who finished top five in pass breakups each of the last two seasons. The defense has players all over. Finally, is a title worthy defense. And now they had Judge Culpepper, who gives them from Penn State, who gives them size at the nose tackle position, uh, opposite of Johnson. So I think they're the most talented team. I'm projected as the best team. They return more production than any team in the country. Uh, no, I don't think that means as much as people are, are saying because so many teams have experience returning, but this team is loaded. They came agonizingly close to 6-0 last year. They lost two games by three points each. They were leading by 10 against Western Michigan with two minutes to go, and then they fumbled at the Ball State 40 in the final minute down by three. So, uh, you know, I, I really love this team. I love the upside of them. I wanted to buy them. And don't forget the home field advantage. They had the best home field advantage in the MAC with fans back at the Glass Bowl. This team, I, I look, and they went one and two in one possession games last year, negative three turnover margin. Some positive regression might be coming their way. Here's the thing the market is priced correctly on them, in my yeah. opinion. Like the market knows how good they are. I did buy them, I did bet an over eight and a half wins. Uh, since I'm like around nine three nine four, so I show value in there. I but I can't bet them plus two hundred to win the unpredictable MAC. Uh, so that's my thoughts on the top. You also have Central Michigan, which could be in the mix, and then uh, EMU, which I didn't mention. Go ahead and get in there. I'll, I'll stop my MAC rambling. You got anything in the West? Well, Eastern Michigan, I I love on a game to game basis, not for the not for the division or for the conference, because Preston Hutchinson just has certain advantages with his size and his arm. So there will be spot plays on Eastern Michigan. No one does more with less than Chris Creighton, especially now that Lance Leipold's gone from uh, Buffalo. Uh, so Eastern Michigan will be a spot on play during the season. I think you know when we mention 
TARP, transfer activity and returning production. Everybody in this division had, I mean, from an offensive perspective, Toledo's at 95%, right? Eastern Michigan's at 87%. Central Michigan's at 91%. There's a lot going on here. Defensively, it's the same thing. The national average is 77%. Everybody in the West on the MAC returns at least 77% on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Toledo's at 88%. Eastern Michigan's at 85%. That although I'd argue what they did on defense was pretty terrible at 127th in defensive success rate. But I think when Stuck tells you that Toledo is the team that's going to pull out here in the division, one thing that you need to consider is this schedule. This schedule is extremely conducive to Toledo having every chance in the world to win this division. When you take a look at it, they're going to start off with Norfolk State. We'll figure out who the quarterback's going to be, right? We start off with Norfolk State. Then we go to at Notre Dame. Win or lose, you're getting great experience for the MAC. We'll figure out who the quarterback is by then. But then you get Colorado State at home, which a game that has no meaning in the MAC whatsoever. So you get these three games before you start conference play, and you'll figure out who your quarterback is by then. Because there's a lot of redshirt freshmen on this on this roster for at the quarterback position. Because everything else is resolved: the line, defense, everything with Toledo. All those positions are figured out. And once we get to conference play, it starts off at Ball State. Now, once they get done with that game, you know, win or lose, they play UMass, right? It's like a pseudo bye week. And once they get done with that, Northern Illinois. And then after that, they get Central Michigan and Western Michigan. If they get through that part of the schedule, the rest of November, when Maction really starts and Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights and bad weather and all that gunk fires up with this conference that we love so much, the remaining schedule in November is Eastern Michigan, Bowling Green, Ohio, and Akron. Yeah, Bowling Green and Akron and Ohio, uh, no Frank Solich and, and Eastern Michigan in the month of November. You don't have to go through anything that's tough whatsoever in the worst month of the in the worst weather month of the year. So let's just say Toledo's like completely reliant on this passing offense that they have, whoever they identify, or they need the turf to be in a certain situation. Uh, you know, I, I just think the schedule is completely conducive to Toledo winning this division. I think they're the ones that are going to face Kent State in a game that's probably going to be 120 points. I don't know what the total is going to be in the MAC championship. Uh, I know it's priced correctly, but Toledo is the only play. Western Michigan definitely has the offense to keep up, but they were almost dead last in defensive finishing drives. They let everybody score. Eastern Michigan, I mentioned their defensive success rate, not so great. Ball State, uh, they won the conference. They made stuck a lot of money, but they were outside the top 100 in defensive success rate. So whether they can repeat what they did last year, they depended a lot on Havoc. Uh, they depended on a lot of drives going their way uh, just from that. And I'm not sure if that's repeatable. So Toledo is the play. I know it's a little bit square because they're the ones that's priced correctly. But when you look at this schedule, and especially when you look when Mac fires up on Tuesday and Wednesday nights in November, it, it, it's a cakewalk for Toledo. Yep, uh, I completely agree. I, I didn't mention it, but I did play Western Michigan over six. Uh, I make it closer to seven. And I know the defense is a concern, but this is a team that's kind of, since Fleck left, they're just they haven't really peaked or broken through. But seven straight years, they haven't had a losing record. I think they make that eight. They at least get the six. I make it close to seven. So I did play over there. Now ask yourself, who's the man? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. First down. Favorite over. Uh, I'm going, I mean, I have to say SMU since I've talked about them so much and it is the first bet I made and my favorite one, but honorable mention UMass over one and a half, which is going to be my favorite sweat of the summer. Favorite over for you? 
Yeah, favorite for me is going to be Wyoming. Uh, they have a schedule conducive to winning nine games. Uh, they do travel to Boise, but outside of that, Craig Bull gets everything on the offensive and defensive side back, one of the best defenses in all of the group of five. And they have depth uh, at the quarterback position, something that they sometimes lack. So I love Wyoming to be a contender in the Mountain West, but definitely to go over the win total of seven and a half. Yeah, UMass, four winnable games, by the way, against teams. All four teams didn't play last fall. All right, second down, favorite under. I just talked about it, so I don't need to go into it. I'm going Northern Illinois under four. Way too young, not a Lombardi fan. Mac, I think, over overall improved. I cannot see this team getting to five, and I make their win total closer to three. Uh, under on the Huskies. Your favorite under? Yeah, I'm going to go under on South Florida. Uh, I don't know where they get wins on this schedule, just Florida A&M. Things are going in the wrong direction for Jeff Scott since he's left Clemson. This is a team that's outside the top 100 in offensive success rate, almost dead last in offensive finishing drives. They can't turn drives past the 40-yard line into points. That wasn't a problem at Clemson, but it's a problem at South Florida. Jordan McLeod transfers out. Not that he was the answer at quarterback, but they don't have any answers at quarterback, and they don't have any answers in the trench. I'm not sure this team even gets to three wins. And finally, third down favorite future. Uh, I'll start Nevada five to one. I think they're the best team in the conference. And they host San Jose state, which I think is ultimately going to decide the division. Uh, App state is definitely worth a play at four to one. That I think is prices a little bit too high, especially considering that they're mirror images of coastal Carolina. Both of them have a heavy run attack. Both of them know how to drain clock. App State's defense is a little bit different against the rush, and we'll see what was a coin flip game last year with a turnover that decided the outcome. Both these teams, Coastal and App, should be priced the same, but they're not. So Appalachian State, 4-1. to one. And then let's go Western Kentucky, baby. Uh, what number you can find? Zappy. Bailey Zappy. Western Kentucky, Hilltoppers, uh, the offense from Houston Baptist. Go check out some of their box scores, what they did against Texas Tech, against North Texas. You're going to integrate that where Tyson Helton has already put in a stellar defense that has shown up and beat Power 5 teams like Arkansas. So you're going to get a legitimate, decent defense in Conference USA. You're going to integrate that with what is probably two explosive wide receivers, an explosive quarterback, and the coordinator from Houston Baptist coming in. I'm not sure Conference USA is ready for this team. So I'm going to take Western Kentucky. The buy price is down to 7-1. to one. There's plenty of 10-1s out there. Go gobble them up down to 7-1. to one. There you have it. That is the group of five at Independence College Football Betting Preview. As comprehensive as you will find out there. Shout out to Mike Calabrese for joining us to talk some fun belt. Thanks, as always, to Colin. And thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the podcast. Make sure that you subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Big bets on campus podcast. It's our own college football stream now that we're able to have. Thanks to you, the listeners. I'm off to Key West uh, right now, and then we'll be back with SEC episodes. And then all of a sudden, it's going to be week zero. And, you know, if you thought this was a lot, go check out the written content on ActionNetwork.com and the Action Network app. Colin has a ton of stuff. I'm going to have a 10,000-word piece that will be out probably when you're listening to this on all of my favorite futures and a 10,000-word piece on the, my Mac Manifesto. So all that will be out in the app if you need the written form. Appreciate all of you listening, and we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Peace out.